Well, friends, it's finally happened. We have reached the end of 2020. Praise, praise, praise. I'm sure if all of you were sitting right here, you might have uh, just burst out into applause and uh, cheers and laughter and maybe even a few tears. Um, But baby Jesus has come. He's sleeping peacefully in a manger. And we can all just take one big collective breath. I promise if I was at home in my pajamas with a cup of coffee right now, I would be taking a big collective breath with all of you. It's that time of year in between Christmas and New Year's when we honestly probably would forget what day it is until New Year's Eve. And we might sit for a moment and think about all the things that have happened this past year and all the things that we hope might happen in this next year. What we might anticipate. And what a year 2020 has been, right? This year has been, you could probably say, more than intense. You know, sometimes I wonder if people of faith over time have ever asked themselves if the problems of the world were too big to be dealt with. Maybe the Israelites were in exile and they wondered, is, is, how is God going to lead us out of this situation and, and back to the promised land? When wars and plagues broke out, maybe, maybe those, those people of faith were wondering, how is God going to get us out of this situation? How can any of this be fixed? How can there be healing? And I wonder if many of us are in that same boat right now. Sometimes we even wonder, how is a little baby Savior, born in a manger, supposed to help any of this? It just seems maybe just a little bit too big. And some of us are probably pretty weary, probably pretty tired from all the things that have happened over the course of this year. And this year has given us plenty of good reasons to be weary. Maybe, if you haven't noticed, we have a global pandemic on our hands that's been raging for a year It's even escalating now as we head into 2021. Maybe you're somebody who works on the front lines and or perhaps are a doctor, a nurse, or a caregiver who's just weary from having to help a sick family member say goodbye to a loved one over Zoom. Maybe you're someone who has to go into work to make ends meet but feel at risk for catching a deadly disease and bringing it home to someone vulnerable. Maybe you're a teacher, an administrator, and are worried about the kids and other staff members that you're around and that you love and that you care about and you want to protect. And then maybe this year you've lost a loved one and you're navigating grief and you're navigating mourning. This past week, when we sang O Holy Night, when we heard Charlotte Bagwell sing O Holy Holy Night here at Lover's Lane, did it take a new meaning when we sang A Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices, For Yonder Breaks a New and Glorious Morn? I know it did for me. And I believe that Jesus has found an especially weary world this year. And not only are we we weary about things that are outside of our control, but we're also weary and worried about meeting all the expectations that are placed on us from all different directions. We find ourselves constantly bombarded with expectations and societal voices that tell us how we ought to live and, and subscribe to a specific set of beliefs. 
that often put walls in between us and other people. We've seen a lot of that this year. It often leaves little room for relationship, doesn't it? And you know, these voices are nothing new. Jesus is well aware of them. And in our scripture passage for this morning, these voices come from the wise and intelligent. And here Jesus isn't saying that wisdom and knowledge are inherently bad, but he is saying that he's offering a warning against making what we know and how wise we are the core of our identity, because it leaves little room for curiosity. He's referring to Pharisees. These Pharisees were religious leaders at the time, and Pharisees are usually portrayed as in a negative light because the Gospels have become, synonym, they become synonym, synonymous with hypocrites in the Gospels, and, and they would demand a lot from their teachings, and they couldn't necessarily follow through with their teachings themselves. They'd not only try and dictate what people believed about God, but they'd also try and dictate what people believed uh, in relationship to how they lived in terms of their relationship to the Jewish law. They'd place expectations on people to eat certain foods, socialize with certain people, and if you've socialized with that group of people, then obviously you're a sinner and you can't be a part of our group. They'd even have certain political views that they would ask you to subscribe to. Can you believe that? The trap the Pharisees would fall into is that because they knew a lot about following the letter of the law, they expected everyone else to believe and behave exactly as they did. They were wise and intelligent and expected everyone else to do what they knew. So as I mentioned before, I get the opportunity to uh, be a co-host on a podcast called Out on a Limb, and I hope you get a chance to listen to some of those episodes. But one of the episodes that I was really, really excited about was uh, an episode that we did with one of my favorite professors of all time. Many of our uh, pastors would have, here at Lover's Lane, would have studied underneath him. His name's Dr. Roy Heller. And it was one of the first interviews that we ever did with him, and uh, I was nervous because he was, uh, he's, he's just someone I look up to a lot, and uh, I was excited for this interview. And, it, and, and, and you know, this interview was the first one we did, uh, and it came on the heels of a particularly divisive election. As a matter of fact, it came on the Monday after most of the news networks had called this political race for Joe Biden on, on that Saturday. And there was a theme to this episode that uh, we really wanted to discuss with Dr. Heller and really what this episode turned out to be about. We noticed that people have this tendency to want others to do exactly as we believe because what it ultimately is all about is validating our own perspective. We talk about how easy it is to get stuck in this trap of wanting to have our individual worlds be sort of small. Because the benefit of having a small worldview is that you can know everything in it. And Dr. Heller is who I consider to be quite wise and quite intelligent and could easily be a Pharisee. He could easily take the things that he knows and, and, and really use it to the detriment of others and to train pastors to be exclusive, to train pastors to be uh, people who don't include other people. 
because he studied the Old Testament professionally, as in he gets paid to study the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, for over three decades. He has more knowledge about Scripture than I could probably hope to attain in a lifetime. And he could probably wield that knowledge to hurt others. Yet, I've also witnessed Dr. Heller stand behind a podium like a pulpit or a lecture um, and give a lecture on something like, I don't know, the book of Job. And, he'll, and the first thing that he says is he'll say, well, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know what's happening in the book of Job. Maybe one of you can tell me. Maybe we can explore this scripture together. He has made wonder and curiosity a core value of his life. It's like a tr- I, I think about it, and every time that he steps behind a, a, lec- a, a lectern for a lecture, it's like going on a treasure hunt with him. So we asked him, where this sense of wonder, where this sense of curiosity, how did that become so much a part of his life? And this is what he had to say. He said, what is the basis of wonder? How do we cultivate that? First of all, it's making sure your self-identity is not bound up with what you know. Let me say that one more time. What is the basis of wonder? How do we cultivate that? First of all, it's making sure our self-identity is not bound up with what we know. You see, if we identify ourselves with what we know, we automatically assume that everyone else should see the world from the same point of view that we do. It's a prideful trap that we fall into. And you know what? Jesus knows that that is exhausting. Jesus knows that that is incredibly exhausting. Not only is it exhausting to keep up with the expectations that other people might put on us, but it's also exhausting to loft expectations on other people. It's exhausting to demand things from people and to defend our own worldview. I mean, I mean, have you ever been in an argument and left that argument just full of energy and excited to take on a new day? Probably not. I know that I haven't been. And so he issues this invitation. And this invitation isn't just for the followers of the people of Israel. The biblical scholars have pointed out that this invitation is the only, one of the only times in the entire New Testament that Jesus gives an invitation to everyone. And, and, and by everyone, we mean like loving all people with a capital A-L-L in it. Everybody. He issues this t- invitation and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So there's this kind of weird concept and metaphor that Jesus uses here that many of us, if you're not uh, somebody who deals with cattle a lot, might not be familiar with. He uses this concept called a yoke. And he calls for people to take upon them and learn from uh, him and take this yoke upon them. 
And he said, and if you've never heard of what a yoke is, it's not a yoke as in a Y-O-L-K, it's Y-O-K-E, and it's, it's actually used for cattle. And Jesus is calling us to take upon this yoke, and a yoke is a tool that looks like a wooden beam that connects two animals and pulls some sort of wagon behind it. There's a picture for you. You can see that it connects two cattle, maybe an ox or a cow or something like that, and it connects them, and it, uh, it's a tool that helps them pull a piece of weight behind them together. And so here, once again, Jesus is kind of taking a swipe at the contemporary teachings of his time, and he, uh, as being part of the wise and intelligent group that interpreted laws rigidly so that people had to follow them in order to be considered holy. And here's the difference between a good yoke and a bad yoke. A good yoke is something that connects two animals, that helps them pull a weight behind them together, and a bad yoke adds extra weight and weighs both of the animals down. It makes it harder to move that object that was supposed to be easier. It's supposed to be a tool that helps, not a tool that hurts. And I love the way that the message translation phrases this part of the Scripture. It says, says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And you know the thing about the wise and intelligent voices that we talked about earlier? They tend to create entire religions around them. They tend to create entire systems of belief around them. The narrow worldview of the Pharisees dragged everyone else down, and they made life that much more difficult. And it, and it really, it, just was, it wasn't just about their beliefs about God. It was really how they lived all of their lives. And today, we can also look at religion as those systems of belief or ways of life that tell us how to believe and how to act in specific ways. So religion, in, in this sense, is understood much broader and so really, we could, we could hear this scripture today, and it might say something like this. It might say, are we tired, weary, and burned out on the religion of consumerism? A feeling like we need one more thing? Are we tired, weary, and burned out on implicitly worrying about what others think about us on social media? Or that we just religiously and habitually We'll check our phone maybe for the approval of others. Are we tired and weary and burned out on what people at work or our bosses think of us? I'm not saying that you don't want the approval of the boss and of others. And maybe are we tired and weary and burned out on politics? Arguing about who we think should be here or there. Are we tired? Are we burned out? 
These are the heavy societal yokes, as Jesus calls them. They're teachings that we almost religiously and habitually just place on our shoulders, and, and they weigh us down more often than not as we try and walk through life, and they just burden us as, we, as we're trying to pull more weight behind us, as, as, as we are already trying to pull, that, pull things behind us that have to deal with grief and loss, and maybe every once in a while a global pandemic. We accept these yokes and teachings so much so that they become our religions. And you know what? They make our souls weary. Because we can't keep up. Trying to correct everyone around us like the Pharisees did, or we're constantly trying to be corrected by everyone else around us. And you know, recently, I fell into this trap that the Pharisees fell into too. It was on the day of the election, as a matter of fact, and I, I had read a ton of Facebook articles, and I had watched the, you know, watched the news, and I knew, I just knew exactly that my perspective was the right one. And everyone else was, was probably wrong, and I was ready to wield that knowledge to correct anyone and everyone who believed different than me. And as a matter of fact, I made a phone call to somebody that I loved, and, and the conversation just didn't go very well. Everything that they would say about, they, they'd ask, how do you feel about the election? And every response, I was just mad. It was anger, bitter. And you know, anytime they tried to offer a perspective that was different than mine, I would, I would try and correct them. And it got so bad that eventually they said, you know, I just really, I can't talk to you about this. I can't talk to you about this. We can't connect over this. You know why? Because, because any time that I want to say something, all you do is want to correct me. That's all you want to do. You don't want to listen because you just think you know better about this. The problem with our societal religions is that they are built on being correct. And being correct makes it hard to connect. Not that, not that we can't, you know, once, once we've been connected with somebody else, not that we've uh, formed a relationship that we can't hold ourselves accountable to one another, but it's hard to build a relationship when we're mostly concerned about correcting that person, when that's the first thing that we really want to do. And connection is fundamental to the yoke that Jesus and teaching that Jesus wants us to learn. Compared to all the other demands that we could place on our shoulders with the many rules and regulations, Jesus gives us just two. Just two simple commandments to remember. That's not too hard. And, you know, and you hear them all the time. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, sometimes I wonder if we become jaded to the greatest commandments. That we hear them so often that we, they start to lose their meaning. That we can miss what the core is that they're all about. Because at the core of what... 
the greatest commandments are all about, about, what is fundamental to what the greatest commandments are all about, are calling us towards is connection. Is connection. So however we interpret the commandments, if, if, if we're more isolated, if we're more angry, if you're like me and are trying to correct people and are bitter and resentful and you're trying to uh, just get your way and have it your way, we're, we can probably assume we're following a religion that is different than the one to which Jesus is calling us to. The demands and expectations weigh us down like a heavy yoke that makes relationships more difficult. And God's will of connection sets us free. God's will for our lives that, that we have connection in our, that are founded on relationships built on grace. And that together, being yoked together with the greatest commandment of love, we would be able to face things of life as community. That's the yoke that Jesus is calling us to. That it makes life easier because it draws us and binds us together, not weighs us down unnecessarily. That's the yoke. So some of you may know or may not know that I'm getting married in less than 50 days. Very excited. Um, just very, just very excited. Uh, and, and, and to my beautiful fiance, Taylor, and, and we just really could not be more excited. And, and, you know, I didn't quite realize how much planning goes on in a wedding, just getting ready for a wedding until you're actually in it. And, and, make it, and doing that during a global pandemic is just even that much more hard. But one of the things that uh, I was thinking about during this time was uh, how many invitations we have to create. And, and when you're designing an invitation, what you want that invitation to look like, that, it, that it, you want it to reflect what it is that you're all about, what your relationship's all about, what the marriage is going to be all about. And, and so we went through a big design process to do that. We definitely went with Taylor's design, not mine. <laughs> She's got a lot better taste than I do. You know, I've been thinking a lot about invitations because of that lately, and I'm realizing more and more that life is about accepting invitations. But the trouble is, maybe you're like me, and maybe you might put off accepting an invitation to the last minute. I have this bad habit where I might receive an invitation, and I'll tell myself that maybe I'll just keep my options open to see if something better might come along. (laughs) Maybe you're like me and do the same thing. Or maybe you don't know which invitations you should accept. You're being pulled in different directions and aren't quite sure what invitation is going to be best for you and the people that you love. And you have trouble discerning that. But when Jesus offers this invitation, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He's offering you an invitation that you will, that you will, the, the greatest invitation that you'll ever receive in life. An invitation to daily discipleship with one that, the one that loves you more than you could possibly imagine and knows you possibly more, more than you could possibly know yourself. God isn't offering a heavy yoke and a burden of restlessness like the other societal religions we have today. God is offering you rest for your souls. So those nudges you may be feeling, maybe they're an invitation to get more involved with the ministry area or to uh, serve in a, in a heart burst 
uh, ministry area, or to serve in missions, or to give a special gift, or to read a book that might challenge you, or just to be more kind and open to the people that are different than you. These are invitations from the one who loves you. To receive grace through relationship which sets us free and sets our souls at ease. So again, let me be a messenger of this invitation that Christ gives us, which says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on a religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.